0: Welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. I think last week we passed the moment where you can walk the entire Camino Frances listening to My Camino, the podcast. I know you know that I love presenting the interview each week. It's often the highlight of my week. But I started a new job a month or so ago, and it's been a very, very steep learning curve. I've struggled, truth be known. At each day's end, I found myself questioning why I'm putting myself through this this quest, I suppose, this re establishing, this reinvention. Well, I hope to find the answers on the other side of the challenge. And I was listening to an interview on the radio driving to work when I first started this new job. A young girl with extraordinary disabilities was talking about everything she'd been able to achieve. She was incredible, had overcome preposterous odds. And she said something that rang true. She said, I decided the obstacles would make me stronger, not weaker. Any challenge I overcame, I would use it as motivation to do more. And I remember sitting at the traffic lights thinking, what on earth is wrong with you, man? (laughs) Get on with it. Put one foot in front of the other. Remember the almost 200 interviews you've conducted for your own podcast. Hello. Memo to Daniel. Take note. Life is for living. Challenges are for overcoming. Mountains are for climbing. Hearts are for mending. Souls for sharing. And minds and hearts for caring. This is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago, a series of pilgrimages across Europe. Pilgrims walk to be free of all the barriers life puts in front of them. It's remarkably exhilarating to simply be for a few weeks. You don't need all the trappings of home life, all the things we're told we need. Forget about what you want, forget even about what you believe you deserve. It's all flotsam our hearts cast overboard. Did you know, flotsam is debris cast unintentionally, jetsam is what you throw overboard on purpose. And I think the Camino lets us be ships on course to discover. We throw a lot overboard unintentionally, and some we keep that perhaps makes us tip from side to side sometimes, unsteady as we venture on. Cast it off, pilgrims, sail on unencumbered. The American poet and publisher R.L. Sharp wrote in his poem, Makers of Eternity, One step upon another and the longest walk is ended, One stitch upon another and the longest rend is mended. So never be discouraged by the things you have to do, And think that such a mighty task you never shall get through. Just endeavour, day by day, another point to gain, And soon the mountain that you feared will have become a plain." My guest this week is the British pilgrim, Mark McCarthy. He's on the line from the UK. Welcome, pilgrim. Hi, Dan. That poem by R.L. Sharpe says, One step upon another, and the longest walk is ended. One stitch upon another, and the longest rend is mended. Rend is an old-fashioned word for tear. Has the Camino repaired your tears? I think, I, I remember
1: my first Camino, and it was, I, I'd heard about the Camino many, many years before. I'd been living in in Portugal, and an American colleague of mine, whose birthday it is, uh, the Feast of St. James, had a special attachment to Santiago, and uh, she persuaded myself and a friend to go up to Santiago one weekend I remember seeing these pilgrims come in, and she said, "Some of these people walk 800 kilometres to get here." I'm thinking, "Wow, that's Hmm. pretty impressive." Yeah. I think I'd love to do that one day. Yeah. But it was always a one day, and that day
2: never seemed to arrive. And about 20, more
1: than 20 years later, um, my mother was 91, and she passed in late May of 2014 and it was a good, it was a good passing. She had all the family around, but whatever it was, it was still quite stressful, quite a taxing time. Mm. Um, and I talked to my wife about it yesterday and she said that, um, I said, I thought I handled it quite well. And she said, you had handled it quite well, but you weren't in a great place. um, Anyway, as it turned out, I had a little bit of money and a little bit of time, and she said, she encouraged me to go on the Camino. Um, she had bought she's a um, an RE teacher in a Catholic local Catholic school, um,
2: and she had bought the film The Way ah. to
1: try and teach pilgrimage. Mm. Yeah, and one day when we had nothing else left to watch, She asked, can we put this on the TV? And I sort of grudgingly said, okay, we'll watch it, Uh, thinking I'll just skim through my phone and semi-watch it. But I was hooked. I thought, no, I want to go and do this. And that was about two months before my mother passed. And then my mother passed, and the opportunity came up. But I had one problem. I couldn't find my passport. (laughs) And no passport, no travel, no Camino. So, um, my wife said she'd get her class to pray to Saint Anthony for my <laughs> for me to find my passport. You know, it works, it works. Oh, I tell you, it works because I found that passport. This was on a Thursday, this was at ten twenty in the morning. I found it, and when she came in and I said, I found it, uh, she said, Well, we said prayers about half past ten for you to find it. And it was almost exactly the same time they said the prayers that I found my passport. It works. So I found my passport, booked a flight that, that straight away to somewhere like Carcassonne, I think it was, um, which was somewhere in France. I knew it was somewhere in France and knew it was roughly south of France and kind of then kind of worked out how to wait to get to Saint-Jean. Um, but I hadn't been on any of the forums, hadn't been on any of the Facebook groups. I didn't have a clue about what I was meant to do or how to do it. Or I was the most naive pilgrim that ever was. Um, I didn't have time to order a guidebook, uh, so I downloaded one from. No, I got. I, I think I managed to get in time, just about in time. The, you know, the very small uh, mission guide, mm. and. I managed to download a Kindle version of one of the other guides. Yeah, um, and I rocked to Saint Jean, into Saint Jean in between time. So this was the Thursday I booked the flight. The flight was on a Tuesday, and over the weekend, my wife and I went out and we bought the biggest rucksack we can find, 65 litre of rucksack, and we filled it with complete and utter rubbish. You know, there were I had shampoo for a month and a half. I had a plate, I had cutlery, I had a cup, (laughs) I had spur jeans, spur shoes. You're you're going to need all those things, aren't
0: you? You're going to need all that, Mark.
1: (laughs) Well, I thought thought so at the time, (laughs) but I was so naive. So the rucksack, when I arrived in France, weighed 20 kilograms. And it sounds completely ridiculous Because I know a rucksack shouldn't weigh any more than about 8 kilograms now I know that and I've experienced that But at the time You've got to imagine I knew nothing I knew I need to get to this place called Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port And I need to start walking And that's all I knew Um, So I managed uh, And I somehow I, I, I managed to get to Orison, and stayed overnight in Orison. But it took me about four hours to get those eight k up to Orison. I was just, I literally, I thought I was dying.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: And the next day, across the Pyrenees. The next day, I really did think I was dying. <laughs> I had, um, I, I seriously at one point. I thought I was having a heart attack because I was so unfit. I'm a big guy. I am not a natural sports person. I'd. Use, I was using boots that I hadn't used for 20 years, these little big leather boots, which were absolutely awful. Um, and at one point, I, I started getting pains in my elbow. Um, and I'm thinking, well, oh, my next door neighbor had just had a heart attack misdiagnosed as tennis elbow. So I'm thinking, I've got pains in my elbow, I must be having a heart attack as I'm climbing up towards the top of the, the Pyrenees. And <laughs> uh, okay, I sat down for a second, and then this Irish lady came along called Monica, who said, how are you doing?
0: Okay, come on, let's get going. And she just shippered me up uh, and just sort hey, of... Wait a minute, Mark Mark, 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 want... Mark, Mark. Sorry to interrupt you. You, did, you didn't think to say to her, I think I'm having a heart attack?
1: Well... No, <laughs> no. She, I was kind of like, she's just kind of so matter of fact, so kind of like, okay, you need to get up, get going. I got up, got going, and I, I, it was silly because one of us, it, it was because of the I wasn't used to using walking sticks, was why I was getting the problems in the elbows.
0: Oh, I see. All right, um,
1: but I was kind of like, I was amazingly unfit, and I thought I'm forty nine, I'm gonna, you know. I'm in the class where I'm going to have one of those little crosses along the side. I got only got this far in my Camino, but uh, I managed to get across. Um, I had quite a few scrapes along the way and it was really, really tough. My rucksack lost about eight kilograms and my body probably lost twice that amount of weight. Wow. Along the way.
0: How fantastic. Uh,
1: uh, it was amazing. I remember kind of going, arriving in Galicia and just striding through Galicia because as you go along, you do get fitter and fitter you and fitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But I had this real concept of along the way, things happened and I got this concept that God was looking after me, that I was really being, I'd had a, a tough couple of years and I this was kind of God looking out for me, looking after me, kind of nurturing, rebuilding me. And the troubles and the strife and the effort you have to put into the Camino, the physical effort, are in fact, those those strifes, those troubles, are actually good for you. And eventually came to kind of understand, understanding that When we do pilgrimage, pilgrimage is not something we do to earn favour with God, which is a kind of traditional way of looking at it. You know, pilgrimage is a gift from God to us. Those minor struggles and strifes, the blisters, the uh, shin splints, all that kind of stuff helps to heal you on the inside. The struggles are struggles that you can actually get past And the whole process is a healing process.
0: You know, um, Liverpool, you're from Liverpool, reputation for being tough, hard, industrial. It's the very antithesis in many ways of pilgrimage and spirituality. So where did this new agey kind of Mark McCarthy come from? You, you you're now you were just Will. telling us now about this religious aspect of you, this spirituality. Uh, it's not the kind of well, thing that I expect you to tell me about, you know, if I met you at the pub Friday afternoon for a beer. Yeah
1: I don't know. I think people are changing. I think there is a need. People have a need for spirituality. People have a need for their God, yeah? I mean, I've been, you know, i brought up a Catholic. Um, I've been to Lourdes every year since I was 21 as a pilgrimage helper. So I had some concept of what pilgrimage was about. But this was, this really opened my eyes to what I thought pilgrimage was, was really about. This idea of journeying. It's not the getting there. It's the journeying that matters, yeah? It's the being with people. This, it's transformative, yeah? Yeah. I just think it's, um, I think the Camino has a special way of touching people,
0: yeah? Mm, Yeah. And I
1: genuinely believe that it is a gift from God. And the more people that can experience it, the better.
0: Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I want to touch one last question about Liverpool. Didn't they just win the English Premier League after 30 years?
1: Yeah, but I'm a Manchester United supporter. Oh,
0: okay. Well, I was about. Well, then my next question was: Don't the Liverpool fans sing "You'll Never Walk Alone"?
1: They do. It's the, it is their. It is their hymn, and it is a very good. It is. The thing I hate to admit is that it's an excellent, excellent tune and they have an excellent manager who's
0: a really, really nice guy. I thought you'd be a Liverpool fan, so I was going to... And my next question was, do you ever walk alone? I
1: I do sometimes, but I, I'm, a, uh, I'm very much a people person. I like walking and talking to people. Hmm. But on some of the other Caminos I've been on, I've been on the, there's this very small Camino from Bayon to Pampona called Camino Bastan, which is absolutely stunning. But there are virtually no pilgrims on that whatsoever. Um, and that is a real kind of exercise in solo walking and having that time just for you, just to think, just to be with yourself and your thoughts. So, out of preference, I'm a social animal. I would rather be walking with people. But I know there's times when you do need to walk alone
0: or just walk with your God, you and your God, and that's it. Fantastic. I I wanted to talk about tradition with you because um, we're going to get to a book that you have put together, uh, which is the reason that we're talking. Um, But were you inspired at all at any stage by the history of the Camino and those who have walked the path for hundreds of years before you
1: oh I think so I think the first experience I got was when my friend in Portugal the the American lady she gave me uh, a copy of um, the pilgrimage by Paulo
2: Coelho Mm. and the sense of this has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years yeah and, it, it, you know, you're you walking in the footsteps of millions of people. It, in medieval times, when the population, the known population of the world was to
1: be about, well, the population of Europe was about 70 million, half a million people a year used to walk to Santiago. Hmm. Just an amazing, huge number yeah, yeah, would walk to Santiago each year. I, I think there's, there's something very special about the Camino, um, it's making a bit of a Camino bore um, but I think there is something special there's something special about pilgrimage and I think this one is probably one of the most special pilgrimages you can ever go on um, and I've been been on many many pilgrimages to Lourdes and it's one of my probably my favourite place on planet Earth is Lewis, because I always think it's a bit of where heaven touches Earth um but it's the real struggle of the Camino that makes the Camino so worth so worthwhile. Yeah? You need a bit of struggle, you need a bit of challenge. That's what helps you grow.
0: Yeah, I, I know a lot of Brits were hoping to get to the Camino this year. Indeed, a lot of Australians are now thinking it could be two or three, maybe even I don't know how many years before we're able to travel overseas. Um, Qantas are talking about twenty twenty three before they start flying internationally. Uh, But wow, yeah. But Mark, there are some beautiful walks in the UK, aren't there? Indeed, you can walk from Canterbury, I think, to somewhere on the coast and catch a a boat to Europe. Is it the Via Francigena? Is that from Canterbury? Is that am I right? Uh I have, but I think that's gonna to have to wait till retirement. Uh. I fear <laughs> Francigena, I had a friend who did that um, and I
1: followed his his uh, his uh, blog about it and it was it looked amazing it seemed amazing yeah. but it's also quite expensive, particularly walking through France the one of the great things about the Camino because the infrastructures there. You can do it on 30, 40 euro a day, yeah? Mm, yeah. If you're walking something like the Via Pantagena where you're having to stay in private accommodation, you're talking 80, 90 euro a day type costs. Okay. And equally in the UK, if you're doing that, like the coast to coast, which is on my pocket list to do, you're talking 80, 90 pounds a day at least because the accommodation is just so expensive. Wow. That's... Whereas the Camino… Cool. That's pretty expensive,
0: though. Yeah. 80, 90 pound a day is 200 and something Australian dollars a day. Yeah, that's a lot of money.
1: It is. It's because the accommodation infrastructure is not there, yeah? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you're forced to stay. Well, I'm mean, not forced, but you're staying in pubs and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: And, and they're just not cheap. It's are so, talking 60, 70 pound a room.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how many Caminos have you done?
1: Good question. I'm not sure. I think about 10.
0: Do you always collect a Compostela at the end?
1: Um, if I've walked the last 100K, yes. If I've kind of skipped any bits or anything like that, because sometimes I take groups out um, and things happen when you take a group out, which means you can't walk all the bit, then I don't bother. But generally, I'll, I'll go and collect it. I always kind of. I like going into the Pilgrim office, and it's actually, I think it's quite nice just watching people getting excited, collecting a Compostela, and then coming out, and the smiles on people's faces, it's just wonderful.
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: so even if you don't go and collect one yourself, it's just nice to go there and watch other people collect theirs. It's yeah. a really great, great place to just people watch and just see the expression of happiness. I mean, it's only a piece of paper. But it's what's involved in getting that piece of paper that lifts people.
0: I had two fantastic experiences at the Pilgrim's Office in Santiago. The first was a little Irish nun came along, was talking to us all while we were in the line, and uh, she was from where my family was from in Tipperary, in Ireland. And she said, Ah. "When you get your your compostela, won't you come to the chapel? There's a little chapel there beside the pilgrims' office." And I went, and we prayed together. It was just such a special way to finish my first Camino.
1: They say English Mass each morning at nine thirty, and there's a a really nice, um, uh, uh, Salesian priest, Father Manny. And he says, a really lovely Mass. And I think now while the Pilgrim's Mass is effectively out of order, there's no butter for I just think that's just a much more prayerful, much more intimate. And everybody stands up and tells their little story during the Mass. It's just a beautiful Mass.
0: It's a really great, and it's a beautiful little chapel, that. It's lovely. And I was walking to seek some closure for some personal loss and um i kind of got it that day with that little irish nun um i i'll never forget her wow it, it she was so beautiful and it was just lovely thing to do and she picked me out you know well she was talking to everybody in the line but she just sort of held my hand in the line and said why don't you come after you, you, you. And so it was beautiful. So I'll never forget it. I think a lot of people think that the Pilgrim's Office is a kind of process, um, rather than a very special thing, a very a very significant place, a very um, some of that needs to be treated with a great deal of respect, and and we need to sort of understand the history and the significance of all those tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people have gone before us seeking their their plenary blessing you know, it's not just a tourist thing
1: it's not I I had the uh, it is quite an emotional place Um, and maybe one of the things a lot of people don't know that you can do is you can walk a Camino in the name of um, somebody who's passed or somebody who's very ill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they will mark up the uh, Compostella. Uh, it has to be in your name, but they'll mark it up. I think it's in yeah, pro vicare or vicare pro uh, the name of the person. And I had the privilege of doing that once as well. that was beautiful just passing that on to somebody else
0: um quite a tearful experience how fantastic now where we are talking today because you have um you released a book um it's it's a guidebook i just want to ask you as a pilgrim listening to this how much should i rely on guidebooks you don't need any guidebook you just need to go you need to walk
1: You need to put one foot in front of the other. A guidebook is nice to have. um, And I've tried to put in some stories and a little bit of history. um, So there's some more interest to it and some more context to it. But the most important thing, don't worry about the guidebook. Mm. Just walk one foot in front of the other. You don't need any guidebook at all.
0: You just need an open heart. Take us through the process of writing um, your book, this this latest book. Uh, what did you do? How did you? You say that it relates in some respects to Johnny Walker Santiago's. Uh, what have you done here? It's, a, it's a, effectively it's an update. Um, right. I was doing
1: I was doing a cheeky mini winter camino in December in San and I arrived in Santiago, and I met up with Johnny. Um, And completely out of the blue, he said, "Um, do you want the copyrights to all my guidebooks? And I kind of, I was kind of like stunned. I said, well, yes, please, but how do I pay it forward? So we went on a conversation of how I might pay it forward. Um, So I've written a couple of my own guidebooks. I've written one for Sevilla to Santiago and Leon to Santiago. So I've got in the habit of doing it. I've learned how to do make my own maps, how to self-publish it, how to do work out the distances, all those kind of technical features of it. I already knew how to do. Um, and his guidebook, he—I don't know why he—he's kind of uh, um, why, why he was uh, giving up maintaining them. But I think um, he said that if I didn't do it, they'd end up withering on the on the vine. So I said, "Well, I'm your man." Um, so I spent most of the lockdown just doing updates, checking all the accommodation, um, adding my own stories in, putting because the maps were he got maps the maps free from somebody else. I had to redo and make all the new maps uh, and all the elevation profiles and stuff like that. Um, but I've been used to doing that and had been I'd written most of my own guidebook for uh, San Juan to Santiago. I think I'd done I'd done Leon to Santiago and I'd written up to Burgos and I just had to write the final bit in between Burgos and Leon to kind of finish it off. So I took John's guidebook the bits that I'd already written and kind of merged the two together um, so that's how it all came together so it's a lot of John's work
0: I'm I'm sure it's a lot of John's work but Mark, what takes somebody from being a pilgrim to being a guide, but being somebody who wants to document every step almost um, to to help other people? I mean, uh, that's a lot of work. It must be an incredible amount of work and detail. And let's face it, you can't be wrong. I think... um what well,
1: what originally started me off was the original guidebook I had was all measured in kilometres to the nearest kilometre. And so you had this concept of the communal kilometre, which varied in length between 1.1 and 1.9 kilometres, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was always getting frustrated about it because I was so unfit. I was so unprepared. I was the least prepared pilgrim. Mm-hmm. So it would say, oh, it's only an extra three kilometres to Zubiri. And that three kilometres would seem to be much, much longer. Uh, so I wanted to get a guidebook that had the precise distances. Um, and I'm a, in my main job, I'm a maths teacher. So doing calculations and stuff like that is within my nature. And I've, I've got a degree in computing information systems. So I'm doing things like Excel and all that kind of stuff. I'm very... Technically capable, so I right. I worked out a way of calculating distances precisely. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to make a guidebook which had really spot-on, very precise distances because it was just so frustrating for me. Um, and then, what else kind of motivated me? I wanted it to be for. I felt that the current crop of guidebooks was from people who were Really good walkers, really uh, healthy, outdoorsy. Um, you know, there were sort of really good pilgrims, and I wanted a guidebook which was more for kind of ordinary. Um, for the rest of not us. so healthy, not so fit. Yeah, for the rest of us, basically. <laughs> so I've tried to make it, and uh, in my in my. In my initial kind of guidebooks, I've, you know, I, I tried to make it as easy as possible. And one of the nicest things I was able to do for the Syria to Santiago leg, I got contacted by somebody who bought my book and felt they could only walk um, five or six kilometres a day. Um, and they asked, could I help? So I spent about three nights just working away, working out a plan of how you could do Siria to Santiago by just walking five to six kilometers a day, by walking to this bar and then get a taxi back, then get a taxi back in the morning, etc. And I did a little plan for him. And I was thinking, I hope he uses this one day, because it's just, it has taken me, three, you know, it's taken, it took me about 12 hours worth of work to try and work out this. But I got a message from him, from Santiago Airport,
0: no.
1: saying he was holding his... Compostela. No. And he had tears in his eyes. Oh. And said he couldn't have been able to do it if it hadn't been for the plan I put, put together for him. Oh, that's absolutely And it's just. Oh, it was just. It's one of those moments where it brings you to tears as well. You kind of think, you know, a lot of people decry Saria to Santiago as it's not a proper pilgrimage. But for some people, that's all they can do. And they do an amazing job. And it's such a struggle. And you kind of it, it doesn't matter how long the pilgrimage is. It just matters that people struggle through the pilgrimage and get touched. Get touched in
0: the souls. Yeah? Oh, absolutely, Mark. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. I I think, yeah yeah you you're touching on some very very special aspects of the whole journey not just pilgrimage but the whole journey the spiritual journey i i want well, to ask life can, is it pilgrimage isn't it yeah yeah 100% well, i mean many times on this 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 podcast we've talked about that life is a, a pilgrimage life is a journey life's not easy every day is Tough, and and some days are easier than others, and, and just like a pilgrimage. But I, I wanted to 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 if I could sort of uh, pick your brain a little bit because you've done a lot of research, and you said you're 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 somebody who does their research. What's a Camino secret, or or something that you can share with my listeners as a result of the research you've done? There's lots of little stories.
1: Um... Some of the backgrounds of the people who've worked on the Camino, like San Juan de Ortega, um, there's some special miracles associated with Saint San Juan de Ortega, and I think that's worth going visit the chapel there. There's um, where is it? There's various saints. He's in San Juan de Ortega, oh. um, and he's buried there himself, and there's. There's rumours that when they opened his um, tomb to check his body, that a special, um, very nice fragrance rose from the um, rose from the, the uh, tomb, and uh, there's a little little miracle there that at a certain point uh, during the um, the equinoxes. That you actually, your shaft of light appears and lights up one of the columns there. Um, There's lots of little stories on on the Camino, Um, but there's there's lots of history that is really kind of worth delving into and finding out about the people. No, the one I would recommend is Saint Verimundo, who was a monk who used to look after pilgrims and his fellow monks didn't like the fact that he would take food from the monastery and give it to pilgrims. Um, and one of the miracles associated with him was that he turned a water fountain into a wine fountain. And that's where they got the idea of the wine fountain from. Ah, La one of the miracles
0: of Saint What's one thing that you would tell my listeners not to do? As a pilgrim <laughs> um,
1: Don't take too much stuff um, Which I did in my first pilgrimage I think The most important thing for your listeners Is Try get rid of the reasons not to go And just go Yeah, yeah, that's a very... It is. The most difficult step you
0: will take is that first step. Yeah, perfect answer. Yeah? Yeah. But what should every pilgrim do on their Camino? What's one thing every pilgrim should do on their Camino?
1: Just open your heart. Just be open to other people around you. Yeah? I think if you can just... In fact, there's just one thing to do. Take the first step. That's all you need to do. Everything else you can fix along the way. If you've, not got, if, you've not got, if you've got too much equipment, you can deposit it and leave it in the Albergue. If you've not got enough equipment, you can go into one of the cafes in the big towns and get extra equipment. You can always fix the problems along the way if you've got problems along the way. But the one thing you must do is take that
0: first step because that's the most difficult step. I spoke in the introduction about endeavouring day by day. What are you looking for, do you think, Mark?
1: Uh, I think fulfilment. I think we all want to be fulfilled. I think um, I asked my wife yesterday about what I really got from the Camino, And it was a sense of fulfilment. I feel there's a a need to spread the word about the Camino. I need to get it out there because it's such a healing process. It can really heal people and there's a lot of people that need healing. And so for me, just being able to spread the word is enough.
0: What do your family and friends make of this pilgrim you've become? converted
1: my wife that helped
2: (laughs) Um, she she struggled until I persuaded to go on Camino we
1: went uh, we did a to Santiago back two or three years ago maybe more I love that walk might be 2016 I love that walk Uh, I think it's gorgeous yeah but we, we got to one point where it, on the, you know, on the, I think it's the fourth, third or fourth day where you're going up and down all those hills. Yeah. Um, on the way to our it mm-hmm. and she got to one point and says, "I'm not going uphill. I'm not going downhill." And I <laughs> said, "Well, what we're going to do?" But she she went through that kind of, and once you've been through that one moment of I can't do this anymore to I can do this anymore, she now loves it. So we go, we we try and go together. Uh, As much as possible, but um, it's not always possible to spend all the time together. I tend to go out a few more times than she does uh, because she's very busy in her job. Uh, But she loves it, and she, um, well, we have date nights in decathlon, put it like that.
0: Decathlon is the equivalent of REI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Decathlon, yeah, yeah. We have it now in Australia. The villages come. Yeah. And she, loves, she loves getting
1: all the right equipment, all that kind of stuff. That's
0: great.
1: And we have little kit wars just to, to see who gets the best kit, who's got the, the least weight in the pack, and who's got the best equipment. Mm-hmm. And she always wins now because she's so good at it. <laughs> um, she's brilliant. But it's really, really helped that she's now kind of embraced it. And she kind of gets it. She understands it. Um, she's, always, she's
2: always been kind of into pilgrimage like me in, in Lourdes. But she kind of, when I first
1: came back, she just didn't get, you know, how could walking be so much fun? How could doing, you know, walking, you know, 25 kilometers each day be pleasurable? But it is. It simply is. Um, And I've gradually taken more and more friends on uh, some of these trips. And as they go on the trips, the penny drops and they start to kind of understand what pilgrimage is about, and enjoy the pilgrimage. And it's just a real pleasure to, to take people, you know, groups out to the Camino. Um, we were meant to be going out in May to just do the first five days out to Pamplona, or just beyond Pamplona. Uh, but that got cancelled by COVID. Mm. Um, but eventually I'm kind of... Most of my friends are kind of now accepting... Of
0: the fact that I am a bit of a Camino bull. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's right. Welcome to my world. You know, um, <laughs> we're, 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 we're exactly the same. Do you feel like you needed change in your life? When you look back on the way the Camino entered your life, do you feel like now you can see, oh, it was obvious, I needed change? I needed something. At, at the time, I didn't think I needed it. Mm. I just wanted it. Yeah.
1: But in retrospect, that's exactly what my wife says that I really, really at that time, I've uh, been through a fairly tough time,
0: and uh, I think I would handled it relatively well. Can but I, I ask, was in a bad can place. Can I ask what that tough time was? Do you would you mind? Do you want to talk about it or not?
1: Well, it was partly my mother. There were, there were problems at work, and,
0: was, and my mother passed away at the same time. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, that's uh, well, the sort of things that all of us go. And all of us go through those things, don't we? All yeah. of us go through those things. They're big <laughs> milestones. They're big, massive things in our lives. You know, in, they're they Yeah. We all go through. I them. mean, my mother's passing was. Yeah.
1: My mother's passing was a good passing at 91 but it still leaves a hole yeah it still leaves a big hole that needs some kind of
0: healing of course it does yeah yeah of course it does how has the Camino changed the way those around you relate to you? I'm not sure
1: um they know I have a love for the Camino Mm. They know I have a passion for it. Yeah, I think I was always quite a relaxed, sociable person. Anyway,
0: yeah,
1: but it's enhanced that. Um, I mean, I'll talk to. I've always had the reputation as I'll always talk to anybody and everybody.
2: Yeah. Um, in lures, they, they used to kind of put me on like, duty where
1: I'd uh, end up talking to those who nobody else would want to talk to. Because I, I just love talking and love being with people So um let's just and it's talk.
0: kind of enhanced that yeah let's just talk about that well, for a minute because you mentioned before that you've volunteered at lourdes many times i began my second camino in lourdes are you one, one of those volunteers who wheels the people up to the grotto yeah and all that
1: what
0: why Done, why, uh, why did used- you why did you do that why? Because it's an amazing experience. Lourdes is just—it literally is a place where
1: heaven touches earth, and it's a place where the people who are least in our society are put at the forefront of our at that Lourdes society. Yeah, the weakest, the frailest, the illest, those
2: who are with disabilities. Yeah, they're put
1: as in some form of prominence in Lourdes, which doesn't happen in our regular society, and that's a really wonderful thing to be a part of. It is a privilege to serve in Lourdes. You know, you, sometimes you kind of like you're doing a night duty where you're, you're helping out the nurses with uh, some sick pilgrims. It can be quite quite tough, but it's always rewarding. It's always special. Yeah. And it really is, it's another healing place.
0: Uh, And it's mainly healing of the soul. It's very much the healing of the soul, Mark. But where did your dedication or where did the idea come from that you would go to Lourdes and, and give your... Time as, and, and service to those people. Where, how did that come about? I mean, where did the idea come from? How did a guy from Liverpool, a knockabout bloke from Liverpool, end up deciding that he'd go to Lourdes to, to be part of. I've been to Lourdes, that's where I began my second Camino. I found the whole place really quite extraordinarily confronting all those tens of thousands and literally tens of thousands of people each day going there with the last gasp of hope. And, and and here I was wandering around them, wandering around the town and there were, you know, touristy things there, you know, you could buy a candle for ten. ten yeah, you could buy a candle for ten cents to walk that night along with all of the people who were going and praying, and their families were all praying as a, hoping for a miracle. And I found the place quite exquisitely beautiful, yet quite confronting. What on earth inspired this man from Liverpool to to? to delve into this extraordinary experience of Lourdes in France?
1: Well, we have a very strong tradition of pilgrimage to Lourdes from Liverpool. The first pilgrimage to Lourdes from Liverpool was in 1923. And we had a major miracle on that first pilgrimage. Uh, A gentleman named Jack Traynor, who'd been severely injured in the First World War, um, and he had a miraculous cure while in Lourdes. Um But I think originally I went again was again it was a bereavement. My father passed away when I was 21. Um, and in the pub, uh, I met up with uh, a couple of guys who went, who kind of strong armed me into going as a as a helper. And I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to do. And I kind of got dragged along at 21
0: to go along. And I remember being there the first year, wondering what the hell is going on here, So so forgive me, Mark, I don't like to ask, but how long ago was that when you were 21? 1986. So 1986, you were strong-armed, dragged to Lourdes.
1: Yeah, on a train. (laughs) We went by train in those days.
0: It's like a 25-hour journey. No. And go on, go on.
1: And so... The- uh, well, we, you know, it's all, all kinds of stories where we had to... Uh, at one stage, we the, the lift broke down the boat, so we had to manhandle sort of over 100 people in wheelchairs down two flights of stairs. Um, but it's the sheer determination you see on the assisted pilgrims and the, the, the um, sick pilgrims their determination to go to Lourdes and seeing it I remember one year I was there and I was I was on night duty helping out with the nurses where we just effectively act as kind of healthcare assistance to the nurses looking after our sick pilgrims and there was a gentleman who was dying of cancer and had thought tooth and nail to get to Lourdes so he could die in Lourdes and that's how much he, it meant to him And it's when you see those stories of people, particularly in their kind of in their dying days, just they're not looking for a cure. They're just looking for that touch of peace, that touch of reassurance, that touch of knowing that they're gonna be okay when when the time comes, yeah? And that that inspires inspires us all. It's just an amazing it's truly amazing to watch the faith of the people who are ill, who are challenged. And that's what builds your faith up. It's their faith. And they're not looking for a miraculous cure. I do believe they happen, but they don't very happen very often. But they are looking for healing, and it's healing of the heart. And that's what pilgrimage
0: does. It heals the heart, it heals the soul. Have you been lucky enough to experience the joy of a Camino angel?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. On my first Camino, um, I've managed to get new boots. I thought everything was going to be okay. But coming up to Leon, I developed a blood blister.
2: Mm.
1: Now, blood blisters are like blisters on supercharge, <laughs> they are incredibly painful. So I was hobbling for the last few kilometers. I ended up staying the night before, the night about eight kilometers out of Leon because I just couldn't walk any further. And this guy uh, who ran this small hotel, uh, he got me me some water and salt to soak my feet and all this kind of stuff. And I was thinking, I don't know how I'm gonna go on. I just don't know how to go on and I kind of hung around and had lunch and while I was at lunch um, I ended up sitting next to this guy Uh, and this guy was from Northern Ireland Mm. and he turns out to be a podiatrist so so he gives me a consultation patches me up with enough to get going explains what I need to do Um, and this guy He really made a huge, huge difference. The poor man must have been permanently in use on the commune as a podiatrist. But he kind of fixed me up and I was able, I had two or three days rest in Leon. And after that, I had no more problems with my feet. Just amazing. Absolutely. That touch of how I ended up sitting next to a podiatrist at the one point where my feet
0: were at the worst
1: point, <laughs> uh, that was my true Camino anyway.
0: Yeah. What <laughs> makes you happiest on the Camino?
1: Oh, I don't know. Um, talking to people. Yeah, easy. I think.
0: Yeah, good answer.
1: People. Yeah, meeting new people. I think that's that's what I really enjoy.
0: What makes you cranky yeah. on the Camino?
1: I I don't like it when people are being judgmental on other people. I just Mm -hmm. don't like that.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you enjoy the simplicity of pilgrimage?
1: I think the the bit I still find amazing is that for six weeks or four or five weeks, whatever it is, you can live out of a backpack which you're carrying on your back. That's just amazing. It teaches you how little you really need to run your life.
0: Yeah. Tell us about the new book, a guidebook of sorts. And I had a look through the Kindle version. It's absolutely fantastic because here we are. I mean, I know that people might listen to this podcast at different times, what have you, Um, but we're towards the second third of 2020 and it's about updating people and telling them what's happening right now. So why don't you give us the update, give us the pitch right now.
1: Okay, so there's, there's two versions. There's a paperback version, which I've tried to keep pretty small, so it's four and a half inches by seven inches. It's only I've put it back down to 200 pages, so it's now just 200 grams in weight. So it should be pocket friendly. There's a couple of extra pages to the ends to sort of write down people's names and addresses or contacts for people you meet along the way. Um, it's based on Johnny Walker's original guide, which is an excellent guide to start with. And I've just thrown in some bits and pieces in there as well. The distances are all accurate. The elevation charts are—I've worked on uh, meticulously to try and get really good elevation charts. Um, the Kindle version has got links, which on a smartphone means that you should be able to uh, click on the web address and open up the web page. Uh, click on the booking.com link and open up the booking.com link and click on the phone number, depending... I don't think this works on Apple phones, but on the Android version, I think it works, where you click on the phone number and it will bring up the dialer and enable you to dial the the albergue directly from the Kindle uh, version of the book. So they're probably the highlights of the book. Um, but the book's not so important. What's so important is that people go out there and walk. If you enjoy enjoyed the book, that's great. Um, and I think there are good bits to it I think it's a, it's a good guy but it's nice compact um, But if I could do one thing with this interview it's just get people out there walking taking that first step.
0: Yeah, you know um, I, I, I couldn't agree more. you know Mark I, I, when I sort of saw that you're available for the interview I thought oh, I can't wait to talk to him and I, I always do a little bit of research. I, and sort of scroll through people's Facebook pages, and there you were in León, yeah. which is you said your favourite city. It's my favourite city too, but yeah. I, I want to let you tell our listeners about toasted beer.
1: But well, it's especially my heart because it was the point where I kind of was at my lowest, and I had a friend from school came out and and joined me for a couple of days. Um, and we had a, we had about three days in Leon we stayed in this lovely hotel on the Calle Anche is the main high street in Leon you can just sit there, watch people, watch the world go by and watch people walk up and down, families walk up and down and it's just a beautiful place to just watch the world it's got um, one of the three Gaudi buildings which are outside of Catalonia Um it's got the most magnificent cathedral and it's maybe not as impressive in terms of size as burgos but the glasswork inside the cathedral is just stunning and at different times of different day of the day you get different color effects from the glass because as the sun passes it over it's designed to give different a different atmosphere inside the cathedral so it's a really stunning cathedral it has the most generous tapas in the whole of spain so basically as long as you tapas stop about 8 o'clock in the evening and basically as long as you buy a drink in a bar you get a free tapas and the tapas they compete with each other to get the best tapas so instead of an evening meal it's cheaper just go around buy a drink in each bar in a space of 3 or 4 bars and just eat the tapas rather than eat an evening meal because it will be tastier and it will be cheaper
0: tell us a Camino story
1: one time, I'll tell you about the time I got lost. The only time I got lost on the Camino, um, I was staying in, staying in San Juan de Ortega and I was in the Albergue and I, I arrived late and I thought I was the only person in this particular uh, dorm room. Woke up next morning and there's this Polish guy next to me. We get chatting. His name's Marek, my name's Mark. We're roughly about the same age. We get chatting. Um, and he's a really interesting guy. We, we share breakfast, and I walk with him, um, and we got talking about all kinds of different things. And then he starts talking about he's uh, been to North Pole, South Pole. I think, oh, you're an interesting kind of guy. Um, and uh, we're just chatting away and chatting away and chatting away. And then we realise we've walked about two or three kilometres. Um, in completely the wrong direction. He fortunately gets an iPhone out and goes, "Oh, we we'll just have to go up this hill, and we'll get there." Yeah. But a later, fa- later ended up kind of. He says, "Do you mind getting your photograph taken?" I said, "No." And the next minute, this guy comes to the, with a, a camera and starts snapping photos, and they end up doing an interview with him on one of the bars on the way into Burgos. And it's only kind of like the day after that. I kind of work out who this guy is, and he's a, apparently he's the. His name's Marek Kaminsky, and he's walked three and a half thousand kilometers from the Russian part of Poland um, all the way to Burgos at that stage. He ended up walking four and a half thousand kilometers, and he was just an amazing guy. He was a, a polar explorer. Uh, he held the Guinness Book of Records within the North Pole and South Pole at the same, and he's effectively the Polish Berg Rills. But to me, he was just some guy I met in the albergue. His name was Marek. Um, How fantastic! And I, ended up, I ended up the next morning. I stayed the extra day in Burgos. And I, I, I went to that little bar across from the albergue and flipping through the newspaper, and there's a photograph of me and him walking wow. into Santiago. It was my brush with fame. But apparently, he's like he's this guy, Marik Kaminsky, super nice guy, really approachable. But I didn't know he was famous because I just didn't know who he was. But it was my brush with fame on the Camino. That... I walked into Burgos with Mark Kaminsky and got lost. You know, me wanted to be a guidebook rider and him being a polar explorer, we still managed to get lost together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is so fantastic. Mark, I love your enthusiasm for the Camino. Your enthusiasm for travel, adventure, growth, for sailing on without the flotsam and jetsam. Stay on course, my friend, and we'll meet one day, I'm sure, to share a cold beer. I can't wait. Thanks for sharing your story, your passion, and your energy. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Buen camino. Buen camino. My guest this week was the British Pilgrim Guide, host and writer Mark McCarthy. The Way to Santiago is his new guidebook based on the Johnny Walker's Pilgrim Guide to the Camino Francaise. It includes new maps, new elevation charts, detailed distances, and the Kindle version contains hot links to accommodation websites and telephone numbers. It's been updated for 2020 and to help with planning and finding albergues that are currently closed due to COVID. Just Google Mark McCarthy, The Way to Santiago, and you'll find it. The American poet and publisher R.L. Sharp wrote in his poem, Makers of Eternity, One step upon another and the longest walk is ended, One stitch upon another and the longest rend is mended. So never be discouraged by the things you have to do, And think that such a mighty task you shall never get through. Just endeavour, day by day, another point to gain, And soon the mountain that you feared will have become a plain." R.L. Sharp is Robert Lee Sharp. There's a great old story that one day when he was a boy, he went with his father to the local blacksmith to pick up a rake and hoe his dad had put in to be repaired. Sharp said, his father handed over a silver dollar for the repairing, but the blacksmith refused to take it. No, said the blacksmith, there's no charge for that little job. But Sharp's father insisted that he take the payment. But Sharp's father said, If I'll live to be a thousand years, I'll never forget that old blacksmith's reply. The blacksmith said, Can't you let an old man do something now and then just to stretch his soul? It's the old law. The giver receives more than the receiver gets. Bread like flotsam cast upon the waters comes back a thousandfold. Sharp wrote, One who stretches his soul into deeds of love and kindness unfailingly reaps a just reward. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be part of your life every week. Shine on, pilgrims. Your light is warm and beautiful. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way Somewhere along the way